Well, we are starting off a new series today uh, titled Crafted by God. Crafted by God. And it's all about finding our community in Christ. So the titles, Crafted by God, subtitle, Finding Our Community in Christ. Well, uh, if you didn't know, uh, last night there was a U2 concert at the Rose Bowl. And uh, U2 is actually one of my favorite bands, uh, one of the greatest bands of all time. And, and I absolutely loved them growing up ever since high school. And I thought about buying tickets for this concert, but they've just gotten so much steeper. Guys, when I was in college, I went to U2 for $45, right? And now they're like $160 a pop. So I just can't psychologically tell myself it's okay to spend that much. But anyways, um, I had friends there, so I don't want to judge them. Um, um, but, but, so I, I live in Pasadena. I live in Pasadena and actually really close to the Rose Bowl. And so during the concert, I could faintly hear the music outside, yeah, from my porch. And so I was like, oh, this is like, yeah. I mean, of course I could just go on Spotify and listen to the music, but still there's something about live music being in the air. And I was trying to see whether they were playing one of my favorite songs uh, titled, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. Y'all know that one, right? And I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Now, it's going to be in your head. Yeah, thank you, Kobe. That was fantastic. Um, and, and so I was like, that's one of my favorite songs. And, and, and y'all know that. And um, here's the thing. Uh, when I think about community, right? When I think about community, and when you think about community, it breaks my heart that that song seems to be the cry of so many in the church, right? We're all looking for a community, but we still haven't found it. Or as I said in a previous sermon, community seems to be the thing that everyone wants, but no one seems to have, right? It seems to be such an important word. It's uh, second to the importance of the preaching of the word. If you ask somebody, what are you looking for in a church? Number one is a good sermon. And number two is community, right? But I always ask, like, what do you mean by that, right? And why are you so um, desperate for community? Why is it so important to us? And why do so many of us seem to lack it, right? We seem to lack community. We're all looking for it. Why do so many of us struggle with loneliness in the church? I'll never forget being in a small group and hearing someone share that they missed their old friends and they missed having community. Imagine that, right? You're in a small group with people trying to serve you and be community together, and they'll tell you, I miss having community, right? It was really, it was really awkward. Um, because she's kind of telling me and the rest of our small group that, that we're inadequate for you, right? We're not enough. Kind of like if you're in a relationship and that person just is always talking about their ex and how much they miss that person, right? So it was awkward. Now, I didn't judge that person at all because I, I knew the heart. But my heart was heavy for that person because I saw that there was loneliness. And I saw that that loneliness had turned into discontent. Church, are you discontent today? Are you feeling like you're lacking community? Do you feel lonely? You feel like this church or these, these people or these friends or your peers are not fitting a need or a void that you have in your heart? Well, I'm not here to judge you. I just want to say that, that is actually a major issue in many of our members, uh, not just in this church, but in the overall body of Christ. Now, I believe that many of us don't have community because we're looking for it in the wrong places. I really think that. This may not be the only reason why we don't have community, but I think that that's the dominant one. We're looking for it in the wrong places. And, at our, and our core issue is that the expectation of what community looks like has not been crafted by God. 
It hasn't been shaped or defined by God. Rather, it's a result of our own experiences, a result of our own appetite. And so our desire, our search, our quest for community is not necessarily a biblically defined or shaped one. It's very subjective, right? It's your appetite. It's your desires. It's your experiencing defining what community ought to be. And I believe that the best remedy for this problem is to look at God's word and ask the questions. What does a biblical community look like? Not just a Michael-shaped community, right? Or a a Michael-satisfying community, but a biblical community. What does that look like? How is it crafted? And how can I experience it? Those are the questions I believe we need to ask as as we're trying to develop and experience community here at All Nations. Well, the Apostle Paul, he talks about how community is crafted according to the the design of God in the book of Ephesians. And one of the major themes of Ephesians is the church, the community life of the church. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, verses 11 to 22. Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. I'll be reading from the ESV, and it'll be up on the screen. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, the title of today's message is A Divine Community. And we want to look at three things as I unpack the message. First, we're going to look at the challenge, right? The challenge of community. Second, the creation of community. And finally, the goal of community. Okay, so first we're going to ask, why is it hard, right? Why is it hard to actually experience community, to have it, to cultivate it, to keep it? Next, how is it created? And then finally, what's the goal, right? What's the end goal? Uh, the challenge of community then. If you want to answer to that question, why do we often lack community in the church? Why is it difficult? The simple answer is because people are different, right? And when you get people who are different with a diversity of backgrounds, cultures, socioeconomics, races, whatever it might be, when you have people that have those kind of differences, it's very easy, it's very natural to create divisions, right? Differences, when left unrefined, unsanctified, unchecked, 
Differences produce natural divisions. And this is absolutely the challenge in Paul's day. Our text begins with Paul addressing this people group called the Gentiles in the Ephesians church. Uh, simply put, a Gentile is a term for anyone who wasn't a Jew, right? And so if you are of Asian descent, we are all Gentiles, right? Uh, like majority of the people here, we're all Gentiles, right? Um, and Ephesus, the city, was a Greek city full of both Jews and Gentiles. And so when they're starting a church, when Paul's playing a church there and people are being converted, same thing. Jews and Gentiles are coming to faith. But here's the thing about the Jews and Gentiles. They were divided. And they were prejudiced against each other. Few Jews were offered the rights of Roman citizenship. It was rare for a Jew to have the rights and privilege of Roman citizenship. And they were looked down upon in the culture Right? The Greeks and the Romans, they thought Jews were so antisocial because they never partook in any of the festivals. They didn't go to the temples and worship. They didn't eat uh, the, 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 the foods of the norm. Right? They were all so like, kosher and separatistic and, and divisive. And so they're like, man, you Jews are antisocial. Right? You are no fun. You're no good. And they looked down upon them in the culture. Conversely, the Jews didn't accept Gentiles into their spiritual citizenship and they consider Gentiles to be these unclean pagans, right? You like pork eating, right? Sabbath dishonoring pagans. So the disdain and division, it went both ways between Jews and Gentiles. And here, Paul is addressing the challenge, right? For people who have had this long-standing conflict, long-standing prejudice against each other to now try to do church together, to try to be a family, to be a community, Paul's addressing this conflict. He's addressing this challenge. And he writes in verse 12 to the Gentiles, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. You see, the Jews knew, they understood themselves to be the chosen people of God and the Gentiles were not. They considered the Gentiles as godless, lawless people who were hopeless without the promises of God. In the temple of Jerusalem, right, where the Jews worshipped, uh, there was literally a wall of hostility. So they had all these layers, right? Uh, the high priest, they could go all the way to like the center of the temple, Right? And then there's, an, there's a next there, inner court, right? Where the, where the priests can go. After that, there's a place for the men to worship. Outside that, there's the women, right? There's, you know, some misogyny going on there. Um, and then on the very outside was something called the Gentile courts, right? And this was actually, a, you know that scene in the Gospels where Jesus flips over the tables and said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. You've turned this into a den of thieves. You know where that takes place? On the court of the Gentiles, because that was a marketplace, if you needed a dove to offer as a sacrifice or a goat or whatever it might be, uh, people were selling those on the outer courts where the Gentiles were. And here's, here's the thing. If a Gentile wanted to go in closer to worship, there were signs all around the temple saying, Gentiles are not allowed in, right? Under the penalty of death. The Jews were literally telling the Gentiles, if you go past this wall of hostility outside this outer court of the Gentiles, we will kill you. If you want to come and worship Yahweh, you can't come any further, right? We will kill you. That is, that is a wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, how in the world were these two groups of people 
who are so programmed for segregation, right? So convicted of separation, supposed to be a community together as the church. The answer, of course, is going to be the gospel. But before, but before I go there, I would like us to consider our own challenges, our own barriers, our own walls of hostility in, experience, in experiencing community. You see, though we, we probably, and thank God, we don't go to the same extremes as perhaps the Jews and the Gentiles did. We all have our own barriers. We all have our own divisions. For some of us, it is race. We just don't want to go to a church where we're an ethnic minority. That's uncomfortable. It's difficult, right? And so we want to be a place where we're the majority, where people look like us, right? Um, and maybe that's a wall and a barrier that you've set up in your own heart. For others, it's socioeconomic. We would rather, and we're okay with going to the poor and serving the poor. Right now, we have a clothing drive going on, and, and it's such a blessing to see our church respond with generosity. Right? That's one area where we're really growing as a church to be missional in our community. Here's the thing. How many of us would be uncomfortable if the poor just started flooding into our campus, sitting next to us in our chairs? How many of us would be comfortable inviting people of a lower socioeconomic class into our homes for small group, where your children might be playing, right? Or your apartment with your peers? Would you be okay with them joining you for community? And I think in so many ways, we have these socioeconomic barriers. We, we're okay to go there, We'll serve the food, we'll bring the donations, we'll be charitable. But if they start flooding in here, our walls, start, our walls might start going up. Or in the simplest sense, and I think for most of us, the challenge is simply that we want to be in community with people who share our own life experiences. Right? And this is so typical. Collegians are not looking for 40 and 50-somethings to hang out with. Sorry, guys, right? Don't worry, I'm right behind you guys, right? Uh, I've been doing college ministry. I realize I'm not as cool as I think I am um, or I'd like to be, right? Collegians want to hang out with other collegians, right? Singles look for other singles. Married families and couples, they do the same, right? How many married couples want to be in a small group with a bunch of college students, a bunch of hipsters and millennials? You, you, you know, you'd, you'd lose your, you wouldn't go to that small group, right? You just wouldn't. And to be honest, right, the minute our service ends, don't we go to our respective groups, right? The families go to 915, right? They grab their kimchi jjigae and their rice balls and whatever it might be, and they go to 915, and where do the college kids go? They go to the benches, don't they? Right, the colored benches, and the singles go to the patio, right? Those are our kind of like three destinations, right? right guilty, we're all guilty, right? Now, I'm not trying to be critical, and I'm not trying to be cynical, okay? I will say this. God can and does use our affinities, right, to reach and bless others, right? So uh, shared interest, right, shared life experience. There, there is affinity there, and God can use that. Um, and, and we want to do that as a church, but we must be careful, okay? When we define, okay, keyword define. When you define community based on your own affinities, 
When you define community as having to have someone in your own life stage, in your own life experience to meet with, to hang out with, to talk with, to, to socialize with, and you say that is the definition of Christian church community, what we're really doing is building a community of our own liking. You're no longer allowing God to build this church and build this community according to his sovereign hand. You're saying, no, no, no. I need people who look like me, who talk like me, who, you know, who can share my life experiences. And if that's not here for me, I'm not gonna be here for the church. So please do not allow yourself to define community by your own subjective desires. When we look at the scriptures, we see that the church isn't crafted like this. The church is actually not something you and I build. I, I know that uh, oftentimes we'll see language of, hey, we want to build community. We want to be intentional about building community. The more I studied and prepped for the series, you know what I realized? God is the one who builds community. God is the one who's building his church. And so if that's the case, the church is not built around us. The church cannot be built around our worldly affinities. We can't build a church based on, as much as I would love a church of just all golfers, where we spend every Sunday after church golfing together, that can't be the church. The church can't be based around uh, just basketball players or people who love to drink coffee or people who have a bunch of kids and love to go to Disneyland together. That can't be our church community. We have to allow God and his will and his word to build the church. And that's why this series is called Crafted by God. I want our church to be a church that God is crafting, not just our own subjective preferences. So how does God craft community? Here's the answer. He creates new community for the, through the work of his gospel. Right? He is creating community by the power and the work of the gospel. Look with me to verses 13 to 16. This is what Paul writes. He says the challenge, right? There's the Jews and the Gentiles and these walls of hostility. And what Paul says in verse 13, but, right? But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God and in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Paul writes that the Gentiles who were alienated these Gentiles who were hopeless that these people have been brought near by the blood of Christ, right? That Jesus Christ has pursued them. Jesus Christ died for them. Jesus Christ has purchased them and brought them near. Once when they were hanging out of the outer courts, not allowed to worship, not allowed to experience the, the glory and presence of God, Jesus by his blood has brought them near. And then Paul writes this beautiful phrase, he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. Jesus himself is our peace. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, this German theologian, he wrote in his famous book, Life Together. This is what he writes. Among men, there is strife. He is our peace. Without Christ, there is discord between God and man and man and man. Christ became the mediator and made peace with God and among men. You see, church, this is so important and it's so honest. 
that among us there is strife. Okay? Without Jesus Christ, the, 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 all the people in this room, if we just tried to do life together, we would be a hot mess. There would be strife and discord. Imagine if we had to just go through the wilderness and just go on this 40-year hiking trip, just like the Israelites did. Right? In their wandering, there would be so much complaining, so much strife, so much conflict, so much belly aching. We would see that. And it's important that we acknowledge this truth. You see, we may all confess that we need a mediator between us and God. We're like, yes, we need Jesus to bridge the gap. We need Jesus to reconcile us with God the Father. But few of us acknowledge that we need a mediator in our earthly relationships as well. Husbands, you need a mediator between you and your wife. Without Christ, there's discord. And even with Christ, there's discord, right? But we need it. Even in our friendships, as much as we want to say it's you and me and we're connected and we have chemistry and I have your back and we grew up together, without Christ, there's still discord. There can be envy. There can be jealousy. There can be gossip and backstabbing among friends. We think we can manage our relationships. We think we can cultivate healthy marriages on our own. But I believe that this idea of independence, this idea of not depending on the mediating work of Jesus, this is why we fail to experience gospel-centered community. Right? It's one thing to have a gospel-centered relationship with God. You're like, yeah, Jesus is the only one that can make me right with the Father but we fail to experience gospel-centered community because you don't think you need Jesus. You think you're like, oh, I, I get along with this person. I think we can have a relationship together. You don't think you need Jesus. Oh, let's just serve together as the worship team or the hospitality team. We have one goal, one vision. We just get organized and we can do this. But friends, you need Jesus as the mediator. And it's because we are not depending on Jesus, right, that we don't have these gospel-centered communities. All right, we need Jesus to be our mediator and our peacemaker. Um, I'll never forget this illustration that was given at our family camp uh, or at our family retreat last year. Uh, the pastor there was going through a building project and he was uh, really shocked and surprised at the level of detail required to like, successfully build you know, like a 10,000 square foot, 20,000 square foot building. And he said one of the things that he noticed was the architects and the project managers were specifying exactly what kind of glue had to go on every you know, joint in every project. And so when you're attaching woods, you need wood glue and metals to metals, that's a different kind of glue. And when plastics are involved, that's a different kind of glue. And when it's an outdoor thing, you need a different kind of bond, right? And when it's indoor, if it's gonna be cold, it's a different kind of glue. And he's just like, all he knew was crazy glue, right? All he knew was crazy glue, but there are all these different kinds of glues that bond these materials together. And if you get the wrong kind of glue, the bond will fail, right? The bond will break. And this was his question to our families. What is the bond between you guys, right? What is the bond, the glue that is holding your ministry, this ministry, this church together? If you're only here because you grew up here and you don't know anything else, that may not be a Christ-centered bond. That's not, I'm gonna go and say it, sorry. It's not a Christ-centered bond. It's not because God has placed you here and because Jesus has called you here. You're just comfortable here, right? 
If the only reason why you're here is because our kids' ministry is so awesome and everything else, you're like, uh, you know, you tolerate it, but you just want to get away from your kids for like an hour and a half and this is nice and then you like the $1 food, right? Hey, once that kids' ministry starts tanking and the food goes up to $5, you're gonna leave, right? Or if you're here because your best friends are here and you're like, man, I, I love seeing my friends, right? The moment they leave, you're not gonna stay either. See, if we settle for these earthly bonds, these fleshly bonds, right? These temporary bonds, we will never be a community crafted by God. We will never be a church that can persevere through hardship. We will never, never be a church that can persevere through discord and hostility and strife and challenge. And Paul says those days will come. Those moments are real. And the only thing to truly hold this church together must be the mediating work of Jesus Christ, who by his blood brings us near to God and by his blood brings us near to one another. And so I do want to ask you, why are you here? What is your bond? And my plea is that your bond would be Jesus Christ and the gospel. You see, when we face hostility in relationships, we'll tell ourselves that's not the way it should be. Church shouldn't be like that. Church should never hurt me, right? My Christian friends should never disappoint me. And when they do, you might retreat. We'll look elsewhere for other friendships and groups because we're all gonna believe the lie that community should be natural, organic, and effortless. Don't, don't you hear that, right? Community should be organic. It should just be natural. It should just happen. You know, the Bible doesn't say that. You know what the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us that the community is built through the sacrifice of Christ, that we're gonna face hardships and what we need to do is learn how to forbear. We need to learn how to suffer with each other. We need to learn how to be patient towards one another, not this utopian idea that Christian community should just be effortless. And if it's difficult, man, it's wrong and I'm gonna leave, okay? Too many of us believe the lie. And so the moment we have conflict, the moment it gets difficult, we bail. And we think that that's wrong for the church to be challenging to us. But the Bible tells us otherwise. Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. And today he is telling us that because we are sinners, there's always going to be hostility. Okay. Would you accept that? Would you, I mean, just, would you let that just sink into your heart and your mind? The people around you, the people that you have small group with, me as a pastor, our deacons, our leaders, your small group leader is one day eventually going to disappoint you and you're gonna to need to forgive them. You're gonna to need to love them and you're gonna to need to apply the gospel to that relationship. And if you've ever had a relationship that has never experienced hostility, it's probably because you haven't spent that much time with them, right? It's probably because you've never spent that much time with them. Here's the truth. Jesus, he himself, is our peace. Hostility is a problem, but Christ offers himself as the solution. And when we're truly united to Christ, he breaks down the walls. How does he do this? Not by folding the minority into the majority, not through assimilation or toleration. So here's what could have happened, right? Say in the Ephesian church, there's more Gentiles then the Jews, right? Gentiles are like the dominant group. You know, Paul could have said, hey, Jews, just kind of assimilate and be like the Gentiles, 
right? Or if the Jewish group is like the dominant group, you just say, hey, Gentiles, just all get circumcised, stop eating pork and act like the Jews and assimilate. And the minority group gets folded in to the majority group, right? Don't we see that? Right? That's so common. That's such an earthly, practical solution. But you know what Jesus does? He doesn't make the Gentiles like the Jews or vice versa. He creates in himself a new man in place of the two. And this is what happens when we accept the gospel. We are crucified with Christ and no longer live. There's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. We all become a new kind of people. And Jesus is creating a new kind of community who are reborn in the spirit. He creates a new kind of people who no longer try to relate to one another directly, who no longer try to impose themselves upon a community. No, Jesus is gonna create a new community under his lordship and by his word, who no longer try to love and serve one another directly, right? Or work with one another directly. No, it's mediated through Jesus Christ. You guys know how important, how important the mediating work of Christ is, right? That's so, I, I just want to press that into the heart of today's message. And as we start this series, it has to be Jesus mediating all of our relationships. What's the goal then? Okay. If Jesus is creating a new community and we know that there's a challenge, what's the goal? And the, 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 the goal comes from our final verses in verses 19 to 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. When Jesus Christ is described as a cornerstone, you know what this means? It means that he's the foundation. And the cornerstone in that day wasn't the final top piece. If you've ever heard that, that illustration, that like it's an arch and then the keystone is that last piece that holds it all together, that's actually not Paul's point here. In the Jewish temple, when they were building the temple, you know what the cornerstone was? It was the foundation stone, right? And the majority of the weight of the temple rested on the cornerstone. Uh, back in the 90s, there was uh, some archaeologists who did some study on the temple and they found that there were five foundational stones that were holding up the temple. And the largest one was 55 feet long and it weighed about 570 tons. And the temple was built on these giant stones. And when we think about that, that needs to be our image of Jesus Christ that Jesus as the cornerstone, he is the one bearing the weight of our burdens, the weight of this church, the weight of this community upon his own shoulders. That's what Christ is doing, but what's the point? The point is this, so that we can grow and become that temple where the glory of God, where the presence of God dwells. You see, church, this is the goal of the divine community, to be the temple of God, to be a house of worship so that we can gather together and experience the presence of God. We can't do that alone. 
You can't do that in isolation. I know that sometimes you can sit there in your room and and play a guitar and and sing a couple praise songs, and that feels really sweet. I'm going to tell you what, corporate worship is greater. You can read your Bibles and you can have your quiet time, and those are sacred, life-giving moments. But church, corporate worship is greater and more life-giving, and that is what Jesus is building. That's the goal. That's the goal for Christ, to give himself, by his blood to bring you near. Why? So that we can experience the presence of God together. That's what it means to be the temple of God. And there's a second function that a temple has. Not only that we can experience the presence of God here, but that we can be a place where the glory of God is displayed for the nations. Okay? The temple was showing the world who God was. And in Revelation, there's this vision of all the kings of the nations coming coming to Zion, going to the new Jerusalem, gathering before the throne of God and bowing down and and, and giving praise and glory and honor to Jesus Christ. All of that is happening in the temple of God. And that's what God wants us to do as a community, to put his glory, to put his truth, to put his work on display. You see, every church has the opportunity and the calling to be a gospel-revealing community, okay? It's one thing for us to say we're a gospel-centered community. You know what it means to turn that out, turn that upside down, to flip it? It's to be a gospel-revealing community. And that's the question I wanna leave you guys with. How can you, in your relationships with others, reveal the gospel, okay? If the only people you relate to in this church are your friends, people you've grown up with, people you have a natural affinity towards, people that you're comfortable with, here's the question. Does that reveal the gospel? But if you love people who are not like you, if you love people who are different from you, if you love people and serve people who, without Jesus, you actually might be in conflict, Right? You might be a super left-wing Democrat and you might try to make friends and love a right-wing you know, Republican. And, and you know, right now in this social climate, we might have every reason to be in conflict and disdain towards one another. But if you consider the gospel, maybe there's love. Maybe there's grace. Maybe there's acceptance. Right? Would you consider that today? In all of your relationships here at All Nations, how can you reveal the gospel? and make known the truth of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, you give us the opportunity to draw near. That though we were alienated, though we were hostile against you, though we have so much conflict with you and deserve your wrath, we thank you that Jesus gave himself for us and brought us near to you and reconciled us to you. And Lord, today you remind us that as we draw near to you, we're to draw near to one another. And so Father, I pray that as we begin this series, you would begin to build in us, not merely a community of earthly affinity and comfort. Would you help us to become a community that's mediated by Jesus? So that when we do find conflict and difference, when we do find struggle and disdain. Would you help us not to run and hide or to scorn and disconnect? Would you help us to apply Christ and love 
and to serve and to experience peace because Jesus, you are our peace. We thank you in Jesus' name I pray.